Well, my wife and I have a very good friend of ours uh, who's an executive at a Fortune 100 company. And she had shared a story with us about how uh, in early June, after the George Floyd killing, her company came out with a very bold public statement uh, against racism and racial injustice and about diversity. And she said to us recently that it's been now four months since this very bold statement that a lot of companies made, a lot of organizations and a lot of churches made. But she said, even though the statement came out four months ago, as a black woman, as executive at this company, there really hasn't been a whole lot of change. I still feel unheard and overlooked. So even though this company made a very bold statement about inclusivity and diversity and every voice matters, she says, as a black woman, I feel like I'm still unheard and overlooked. Now, I don't know if you've ever felt like that before, but I'm guessing that none of us in here like feeling unheard and overlooked. Amen? I've got another friend of mine who uh, had a bad uh, vacation rental. They rented a place for vacation, had an issue with it, so they called the company that did the vacation rental. You can probably guess what company that is. Called the customer service over and over again, and they never got a call back. And so, I don't know if you've been there before with a retail store or a business or something, even a school, where you call to uh, share a concern or maybe even a complaint, and they don't call you back. And you feel like, again, you're overlooked, unheard, and people don't care. And for those of you, perhaps, who are married today, perhaps you felt that way before in marriage, that your spouse is not listening to you, is not hearing you. You may talk, and it goes in one ear, out the other, or they're more concerned about what's on their iPhone than the one that they... Hold on, let me get this right. It took me like 20 minutes to come up with this phrase. They're more concerned with what's on their iPhone than the one who I married. That's it. Tweet that one out. That seems like they're more concerned with their emails and texts than really with you, and they're not listening. So none of us in here, hopefully, like being not listened to and unheard. But here's the question of the day, is what happens when the one who is not hearing you, the one who's overlooking you, the one who's not responding to you, is not your earthly CEO, but your heavenly CEO? What do you do when you are communicating, praying, and talking to God, and it seems like from your end, God, I'm sharing all this stuff, what's on my heart, and God is not hearing you? So it's one thing to be not heard by people, but it's another thing when God is not hearing you. And so we're going to look at today, if you've ever felt like that, maybe you feel like that right now, is how we can pray and fast so that God hears you. How we can pray and fast so that God hears you. So if you have your Bibles, look at Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. So again, it's one thing when your earthly CEO does not listen to you, does not acknowledge you, but what is it when your heavenly CEO, God is the one who does not hear you and overlooks you? Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. As you turn there, let me give you the context again. Sermon on the Mount is written to two audiences. The first group are the self-righteous religious people who feel like by doing good works, externally I can be right with God. And Jesus puts uh, the, the brakes on that and says you can't. It has to happen because of an internal change. The gospel has to grip your heart. God has to grip your heart. And the second reason is because as citizens of the kingdom, if you said Jesus is my king, then this is how we need to live. So it's twofold. Telling the self-righteous religious folks you cannot live this way and telling us as kingdom citizens, as followers of Christ, these are our new marching orders. This is our kingdom uh, values. Matthew chapter 6, I'm going to read the whole thing, verses 5 through 18. 
When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who see, uh, who's in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Verse 7, and when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, verse 8, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Verse 9, pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Verse 15, for if you do not forgive others, then your heavenly Father will not forgive your transgressions. Verse 16, whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. Verse 17, but, when, but you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Look at verse 1 as well. Verse 1, 6, 1. This is kind of the verse that sets up giving, praying, and fasting. Beware practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. And basically what he's saying about fasting, about giving, and about praying is this very simple equation. Righteousness, practicing God's will, praying, giving, fasting, plus right motives equals reward. So righteousness, praying, giving, fasting, serving, you name it, worshiping, plus right motives equals reward. That's what he's saying here in verse 1 and then 5 through 18. So he said, there's nothing wrong with doing righteous deeds, doing righteous things, doing the will of God. But you have to ask the question, why am I doing what I'm doing? Proverbs 16, 2 says that God searches our hearts and he knows our motives. God is not only concerned about what you do, but he also is concerned about why you do what you do. And he sees those things. So here's point number one. Make sure your motives for prayer and fasting are right. Make sure your motives for praying and fasting are right. So if you have improper motives and you're praying and you're pouring out your heart to God, but your motives are wrong, he says, God's not going to reward that. God's not going to honor that because your motives are wrong. In James, James says the same thing. In James 4, he says, you ask and you pray, but you don't have. Why? Because you ask with selfish motives. So here in verse uh, 5, he says, when you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites. That word hypocrites is the Greek word upokrites, which means mask or actor. So he says, if you have a weak, impotent prayer life in private, but in public you pray these big ostentatious prayers to impress people in community group, he says, you're doing just like they do because they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on street corners so they may be seen by men. And he says, here's a reward, the applause of people, the admiration of people. But he tells us as kingdom citizens, verse 6, but you... And notice this, he says, when you pray, not if you pray, because he assumes out of an intimate relationship with him, we'll pray. Go in your inner room. Some translations say your closet, your prayer closet. Close your door and pray to your father who's in secret. Your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. He has these two pieces as well. Verse 7, and when you're praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles, the unbelievers do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. 
And so what they would do is this. Often they would pray these really long prayers, repeating the same phrases over and over again because in those days and still today, short prayer equals immature Christian. Long prayer with all these fabulous names of God and Bible verses equals mature. And when you want to show off, you pray these really long prayers. And Jesus says, don't do that. If you're praying the same words over and over again and these verses over and over again to impress the people around you thinking that you have an ear with God now, no, you don't. Why? Because he says, in verse 8, so do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. He says the purpose of prayer is not giving God information. The purpose of prayer is intimacy. If you pray the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer right here in verses 9 through 13, if you pray it fast, it takes you 10 seconds. If you pray it slow, it takes you about 15 seconds. So even the model prayer itself is a short prayer because Jesus says the purpose of prayer is not giving God information. God is omniscient. He knows everything. He knows what you need today. He knows what you need tomorrow. He knows what you need 10 years from now. But he said the purpose is intimacy. So if you're praying all these long prayers to impress people and think that's what gives God an ear, he says God already knows. Your heart motive should be intimacy with God. Um, and again, in verse uh, 1, he says that word notice, this Greek word theomai, the word hypocrite is actor or mask wear. He says, your audience is not the people around you, not the people sitting here today, not your pastor, not your community group. Your audience is God. That's who you're engaging with. Uh, last year, 2019, which seems so far away ago, but 2019, the NBA sent all the chaplains to the All-Star Game. So we went to Charlotte, and our, we got to bring our wives as well if we were married. And so the NBA put us up in this really nice hotel. There were a lot of retired NBA players there. It was an autograph Instagram dream, basically, to be there. And so they also gave us the tickets to every event, the All-Star Game, the dunk contest, the, the uh, sophomores versus rookies, the international game, all the events we got a chance to go to. And so the game, or the thing I wanted to go do the most was the dunk contest. And so I was able to go to the dunk contest. There's a player on one of the other teams I've gotten to know, and I was cheering for him. And here's what happened in the Spectrum Arena. There were about 20,000 people watching the dunk contest. Everyone had cards saying 10 or 9 or 8. But you know what? Those guys who were dunking were not dunking for the 20,000 people in the stands. They were dunking for the five judges on the floor because it did not matter if the people in the stands were cheering and holding up tens and nines because the ultimate audience for these dunk contestants was the judges on the floor. And you know what? That's who we're here with today. The people who are watching us the most are not the people around us. God is our ultimate judge. So when we pray, when we fast, when we give, when we practice works of righteousness as kingdom citizens, make sure that your motives, your heart motives is not to impress the people in the stands, but your heart motive is to be intimate with God, to honor God. Are you all with me? So um, here's the thing. The test is again, how's your private prayer life? How's your private fasting because he says here in verse 16, whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face. And again, he didn't say if you fast. He says when you fast. He said make sure your motives are pure. As you're fasting and your coworkers say to you, hey man, it's Tuesday. It's staff lunch. So let's go out to lunch. He says, put on your makeup. Use mouthwash. Brush your teeth. Do your hair. Don't let them know you're fasting. So they say, hey, it's Tuesday, staff lunch, let's go out to lunch. Say, oh, no, I can't. Not today. Oh, I'm fasting. 
I'm sacrificing food for the Lord. And I'm, I'm praying for wretched sinners like you to come to Jesus, right? He says, don't do that. Instead, he says, mouthwash, makeup, do, do everything like normal. And just say, hey, you know what? I can't do staff lunch today. I'm going to spend some time in my office. And if they press you, hey, we always do staff lunch on Tuesday. This is like the this highlight of our week. And say, you know what? Our church, we're like fasting. We're, we're sacrificing a meal and just spending time praying for our church and for our community. And then they say, is there anything I can pray for you about? So he says, that's what we should do. So make sure your motives are right. And then what Jesus tells us is this. He teaches us how to pray. He says, he says don't use means of repetition because God already knows. Verse 9, pray then and underline the word, the preposition, in this way. He didn't say pray this way. He said pray in this way. He's given us a format, a model of how we should pray. He says, our Father who is in heaven. So here's point number two, how to pray. He's teaching us how to pray. Our Father who's in heaven. Notice he didn't say my Father because the body of Christ is a community and we always pray in community because we have to think about God as not just being my Father but our Father who's in heaven. Hallowed or set apart is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Notice this, the first three things that we pray about are attached to the king and the kingdom. He says, your name, O king, may it be hallowed. Your kingdom come, your will be done. May you be the king. We're waiting on this messianic kingdom to come. But until that time, with what's done in your kingdom, be done here on earth. It's all about the kingdom. So number one, if you feel like your prayers are not being heard by God, make sure your motives are pure. Make sure your motives are right. But secondly, attach your prayer to God's kingdom. Because if we're honest with ourselves, most of us attach our prayers to our kingdom. My house, my happiness, my job, my family, my kids. And God says, how is this attached to my kingdom, my glory, my witness, my worship? So the things he does first is he attaches prayer to God's kingdom. So as kingdom citizens, we say, God, you are king. God, your kingdom come. We're waiting on it. But until that time... Your kingdom may be manifest here on earth. May your kingdom be advanced. It's all about you and your kingdom. And then as kingdom citizens, verse 11, we now pray for us. Give us this day our daily bread. God, would you meet our physical needs? I don't think he's just talking about food alone. But God, would you meet our physical needs? As kingdom citizens who are doing your kingdom work, we need food. We need a roof over our head. We need a place to stay. We need clothes to do your work. So would you provide not our weekly bread, our yearly bread, but our daily bread. It's a daily dependence that we have on you. And then notice verse 13. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So he says, meet our physical needs, but verse 13, meet our spiritual needs as well. Meet our spiritual needs as we face temptation. May you give us the power to say, no, we walk away. We're no longer slaves to sin. May we walk away from that. And that word deliver in the Greek is always used of deliverance, not from an uh, uh, occasion or an event, but deliverance from a person. So I believe what he's talking about is, but deliver us from the evil one, which is Satan himself. Deliver us from the enemy's attacks and wiles and deception and temptations. Deliver us from that. Because as kingdom citizens, we want to walk in victory. Amen? Amen? And then he says this in verse 12, and forgive us our debts, forgive us our sins, as we also, underline that word, as we also have forgiven our debtors. So he teaches us how to pray, and again, he connects it to his kingdom, 
and says, now as your kingdom kids, your kingdom citizens, would you meet our physical needs and our spiritual needs? And in verse 12, our relational needs. We want to be in good relationship with you, God. So would you forgive us for our sins? If you want a very easy way to remember that, remember the acrostic pray. Praise, repent, ask, and yield. Praise, hallowed be your name. Repent, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who uh, sinned against us. Ask, give us our daily bread. Uh, 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 do not lead us in temptation. And then yield. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as in heaven. And at the very end, verse 13, although some of the most ancient manuscripts don't have this, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Saying, God, I've just prayed this to you, not in some long, elaborate prayer, but just coming to you as a child, intimately with the Father, saying, God, here's what I need, here's what I want. But you say, ultimately, God, it's about your kingdom, not my kingdom. And so I yield it to you, to you. I give it to you. I trust you. You're in control. You're sovereign. You know best. You love me. And that is the prayer that God answers. Because it's connected to him and his kingdom. When for many of us, our prayers are connected to me, my happiness, and my kingdom. Um, I've got two daughters and I remember, you know, often as the father, they would come to me with their request. Dad, let me have $100. And I'd ask this question, why? And they say, I need to get some new clothes. And this is what I'd do. I'd walk up into their big walk-in closet, open it up and say, you need clothes? What's, what, what is all this in here, right? And then they give all this reasonings, like I got to have these new jeans and this new thing. And so then this is what they learned. If I can attach my request to dad's kingdom, then it's going to get answered. So this is what they would do. They would say, dad, um, I'm taking some dual credit classes and some AP classes. I'm like, okay. And I need $100 to register for classes. And this is what they say. Because if I take enough dual credit classes and AP classes and pass the test, I can go into college as a sophomore and save you and mom first year tuition, room and board. Which at the average school is like now $50,000. So in my kingdom, $50,000 is a lot of money. So I'm like, okay, $100 to save $50,000, that makes sense for my kingdom. So I'll say, here's a check for $100. Here's $100 cash. Because they've attached their request, are y'all with me? To my kingdom. And here's what we need to do with God. We need to attach our requests in faith to God's kingdom. So don't just pray for a new house because I'm tired of my neighbors. It's too small. It's too this. I need it, whatever. You say, God, I'm praying for a new house. And this is how I'm attaching it to your kingdom. Because this house is not going to be our house. It's going to be your house. And God, if you bless us with this house, we're going to use it for your kingdom work. We're going to have neighbors and friends over. We're going to disciple people. We're going to invite people. If people need a place to stay, we're going to be hospitable people. We're going to have missionaries stay with us. We're going to have guest preachers stay with us. This is going to be your house to advance your kingdom. Are you all with me? Because again, for most of us, like I just want the fat crib and I want the six bedroom house and the nice neighborhood with gates and all that stuff. And God says, how does it matter in my kingdom? How is this connected to me and the work I'm doing in the world? So if you want to have your prayers answered and heard by God, attach it to God's kingdom. So again, praise, repent, ask, and yield. God, your will be done. Your kingdom come. So again, you pray and fast. He says, we assume we're going to do that. The one that he rewards, again, righteous works. Righteousness with right motives equals rewards.
But here's the X factor that I believe a lot of preachers don't talk about. Look at verse 12 again. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Look at verses 14 and 15. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Pause right there. How many of you all believe that the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the very moment you put your faith in Christ, whether it was last week or 10 years ago, 20 years ago, that you were forgiven for all your sins, past, present, and future, that you were justified. How many of y'all believe that, like I do? Romans chapter 4 says you are justified by faith. You're declared innocent, righteous, forgiven by faith in Jesus Christ. But right here, it makes it sound like we're not. It makes it sound like we have to work for our forgiveness. Because he says, for if you forgive others, their transgressions, their sins against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Wait, 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 I thought I was forgiven already. He says in verse 15, but if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. I'm confused, God. I thought the moment I put my faith in Jesus, I was forgiven. And now it makes it sound like i got to work for my forgiveness. I have to forgive other people, so I'll be forgiven. If I don't forgive, you won't forgive me. Here's the difference. Write this down. Is the difference between what I call positional truth and relational truth. Positional truth and relational truth. The moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are justified. That's a legal term. means that you are now positionally Innocent. You're declared righteous before God. Declared innocent. Forgiven before God. But here's what happens, you all. We may have position in Jesus Christ. Be a son or daughter of God. But we have to maintain a relationship with God. We have to maintain fellowship or friendship with God. And that comes with walking in step with God. So you are positionally forgiven. Heaven is your home. Nothing can change that. But relationally, he says, if you don't forgive people, God is not going to forgive your relationship. It puts a block in your relationship. If you forgive people, then God is going to forgive you. That block is lifted. Let me try to explain it in this way. Um, for those who still look very confused. My, daughter, my daughters will always be my daughters. They will always be my daughters. They were born just like we're born again. We're born children of God. We're born again children of God. My daughters will always be my daughters. But here's the thing. Um, um, and I'm going to just break this to the parents with young kids. No matter what you do, you all, fathers especially, you will never be a cool dad. Don't, don't, don't even try to be a cool dad. <laughs> all right? You can drive like a brand new Ferrari, be like, have a cool job, like you're the broadcaster for the Rockets or some cool job, but your kids will never think you're cool. So stop trying to make that your goal, all right? But also, um, because you know that now, make it your life mission to embarrass your kids, just to keep them humble, all right? <laughs> so like my daughters, right, they will always be my daughters, always be my daughters, whether young or old, newborn, adults now, always be my daughters. But let's say this, let's say like one of my daughter's friends comes over to the house, and I know that just yesterday was her birthday, my daughter went to her birthday party, and so Dominique comes over, ding dong, I open the door, hey Dominique, good to see you. And my daughter's coming down the stairs, who is it dad? I'm like, hey, it's Dominique. And I'm like, hey, it's your birthday yesterday, right? She's like, yeah, it was. I'm like, dabby birthday, right? <laughs> and, then, and then my daughter sees that and says to her friend Dominique, 
I don't know who that is right there. That strange Asian man, like the door must have been unlocked. He must have come in. I don't know who that is, right? And this is why, you all, this is why, this is why. Because positionally, I'm daughter, father, father, daughter, always be there. But relationally, I just mess things up, all right? And until I work on that relationship, she will deny even knowing me. She will deny even acknowledging me because there's a rift in that relationship. Y'all with me? Daddy birthday, right? Chris, you try that, all right, with your girls on down. No, no, you're not going to do that. Here's the thing, y'all. Now, how many of you are glad that God's a forgiving father? God's a forgiving father. That in Jesus, God's a forgiving father. So God is a forgiving father, or else we would all be stuck like Chuck, y'all. And here's the thing. If we as his children, as his sons and daughters are unforgiving, God is saying, I, I don't know you. I'm a forgiving father. Not wishing any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. I want to love and forgive everybody. And you as my child, having the new identity in Jesus Christ, you can't forgive? That brings a rift in the relationship. That brings a fracture in the fellowship and the friendship with God. And you can sing and shout, I'm a friend of God and all that all you want. But if you want your prayers to be heard by God, if you want your prayers to be acknowledged by God and you refuse to forgive somebody, you're going to hold an offense against somebody. God's saying, I don't know you. Now in eternity, heaven's still your home. You're still my child, but relationally, I, I don't know you. You're embarrassing me. I'm a forgiving God. I'm a loving God. And yet you refuse to forgive. And I'm not saying that the pain is not real. The hurt is not real. I'm not saying any of those things. But bitterness and unforgiveness is the only prison cell that locks and unlocks from the inside. Nobody ever puts you in a prison cell of unforgiveness. So again, here's a question. Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to forgive? And you may be praying for a new job. Lord, I want to be married. Lord, I've got this financial need. And it seems like God is not hearing you. And maybe, again, it's because you're praying with wrong motives. It's for your own selfish kingdom or your own selfish needs or you're doing it to impress people. Maybe your prayers aren't connected to the kingdom. But perhaps, then I call it the X factor. Forgiveness is the X factor of prayer. Forgiveness is the X factor of prayer. You feel like God's not hearing you. God's overlooking you. Maybe the issue is, and the question is, who do you need to forgive? Is it that dad who abandoned you? Is it that coworker who stole a client from you? Is it that ex that's hurt you and maligned you? Is it that child of yours that's now an adult that has, wants to do nothing with you? Is it that professor? Is it that teacher? Is it a pastor? Is it a leader? Who do you need to forgive? What makes you angry? What makes you bitter? If you peel back the layers of the onion... What's the root cause of that anger and bitterness in your life? And if you do that, you'll find that's the person or persons I need to forgive. So again, here's the big idea for today. Righteousness plus right motives equal reward. Righteousness plus right motives equals reward. 
Uh, Chris, come on up here on stage. Josh, come on up here if you can. Josh, I see you. Come up here as well. Come on up here. All right, so Chris is, he represents you. Everyone out here today, he represents you, all right? Josh represents one of his coworkers. Josh, Josh, Josh come on over here. <laughs> represents another coworker, all right? So again, this is an illustration. This is not based on facts, so don't start rumors here. So Chris works with Josh, and in staff meeting the other day, Chris made a point saying, hey, I think we need to increase sales in our parts department with our new axles. And Yash says, ah, no, we don't. Man, axles aren't going to sell. We need to have independent suspension now. So now Chris has judged his motives because he thinks Yash thinks they're better than me. So this is what I want you to do. Yash, turn and face this way. Face this way. All right. I want you to. So this is the offense. Thinks they're better than me. Hold this offense against Yash. Oh, face, face everyone out here. And hold it against him like this. Yes, hold it against them. Good. Hold it against them. And that's what forgiveness is, or unforgiveness is, holding an offense against somebody. All right? So then Chris is in sales meeting, and again, Josh works with Chris. And he finds out that Josh stole one of his sales, one of his customers, right? And so now Chris is mad. So come over here, Josh. Face this way. Hold this offense against Josh. All right? So now here's Chris. He's holding these offenses. One, he's judging somebody's motives. He's perceived a motive and he's hurt by that. And then here's an actual action. He stole a client. He stole a sale. He's mad about that. He's holding that against them. Now here's the weird thing about unforgiveness. Josh, pretend like you're on the phone just conducting business, right? And Josh, pretend you're studying for an exam or whatever it is, studying. We are holding offenses against people. And you know what? They've moved on with life. They don't, they're not even thinking about you. They're making calls. They're talking to clients. They're studying. They're taking a nap. They're sleeping. They've moved on. They don't even know. And here's the thing. Chris's arms are now starting to get tired. The only one unforgiveness affects is you. So here's Chris now. He's praying, Lord, I got these sales taken away from me. I got this. And you know what? I got bills to pay. My car just broke down. So he's praying, Lord, I need financial resources to pay for a new car. Now here's the thing, and I know God the Father is not Asian, he's not a man, but I'm God the Father, and I've got these financial blessings. I've got these financial blessings. I want to bless him with a bonus he's going to get at work. And so I say, Chris, while still holding those offenses against those guys, receive your blessing from God the Father. Get it now. Receive it now. Come on, Chris, you've been praying for it. <laughs> can't. He can't receive it because he's so busy holding on to those offenses. And then he prays, you know, I'm tired of Josh. I'm tired of Josh as well. Lord, bless me with a new job. And in the meanwhile, give me patience and strength. Give me patience and strength and a new job. And God says, all right, I want to bless you with that. I want to bless you with that. Receive it now, Chris. Receive it. Come on, I'm giving it to you. And he can't because he's holding on to those things. And finally, he's tired. Because God is not hearing him. God is not answering his prayer. So he falls to his knees and says, Lord, I just want you. I just want to be close to you. I want your heart to be my heart. I want to be close to you. So God says, all right, Chris, come now. Come to your father. I want to embrace you. Come. While holding those offenses against those people. Come. 
Come. Come. I love you. Come to me. Come to me. I love you. I want to be close to you. And he can't because he refuses to release the offense. And that's why for many of us today, we've been praying and asking. And God says, you know what? Because you refuse to let go and forgive, I'm trying to bless you. I'm trying to be close to you. But if you refuse to forgive, that puts a wall between us. It's only in forgiveness and releasing the offense that now you can receive all that I have for you and be close to me. So release the offense now, Chris. Really, just drop it. Come to me. Amen. Thank you all. Thank you all. So that may be you today. You feel like God is not hearing you. Feel like I've been praying and praying and asking and asking. So the first thing is, do you have the right motives? Are you doing it to be seen by people? Second, is what you're praying for connected to, attached to God's kingdom? Or is it all about you and your kingdom? Your happiness? Your 401k? Your wealth? How does God's kingdom get advanced by these prayers that you're making? And the third thing is, who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to forgive? Your dad? Your mom? A pastor? A co-worker? A child? Uncle? Someone who abused you many years ago? Who do you need to forgive? Because God is saying, I want to be close to you. I want to I bless you. I want to connect with you. My heart to your heart. But if you refuse to forgive others, I refuse to forgive you relationally. Not positionally, relationally. Who do you need to forgive? Let's pray. God, we are so grateful, Master, that you are a forgiving Father. That in Jesus Christ, positionally, we have been forgiven for all of our sin. Past, present, and future. God, we're grateful for that. We do not deserve it. God, it's uh, an act of your grace and your mercy and your love for us. So God, I pray now for the people here under the sound of my voice. God, would you help us to forgive people who've offended us this morning, last year, a decade ago, whether it was a small offense or a great offense. God, being bitter, being angry is tiring. We've only imprisoned ourselves God, we can raise our hands, sing in worship. But God, if we choose to not release the sin, we're only blocking our relationship with you. So Master, I pray for the people here today who need to release, to let it go. That you would supernaturally, God, Help us to do that. Help us to remember that we offend you more in one day than most people do in a lifetime. And yet you are a forgiving and gracious God. You've forgiven us for all of our sin. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. So God, would you divinely, supernaturally empower us, enable us, to forgive. Every time we think about that offense, 
Every time we think about that person, to repeatedly say, Lord, I let it go. I release it, Lord. I release my ex. I release my boss. I release my pastor. I release that deacon. I release that elder. I release my spouse. I release my coworker. And now I've got freedom to embrace you. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If that's you today, and again, our prayer team is not set up because of COVID. And you say, there's somebody I need to forgive. Multiple people. I need to just release the offense. Would you stand right where you are? I just want to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you for standing. Thank you. Right where you are. If you just stand. Thank you for standing. Thank you. Thank you for the courage. Lord, I just pray for those who are standing today. That extra measure of your sufficient grace as they see their boss tomorrow, as they see their co-workers tomorrow, as they make that call to their parents this afternoon. God, would you help them to release, to let go out of a desire to worship and glorify and be intimate and close to you. God, as they forgive, would you reward them? Would you bless them with all the kingdom life has to offer, Lord? You're a good good father so God would you be good to us your children as we walk in your ways as we forgive just as you have forgiven us and we ask all this in Jesus name all God's people said amen y'all may be seated